Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. I think back 15, 16 years ago when I was a middle school student and early high school student, and I was bullied, and then I also bullied others. And for me, that video reel just replays the faces of all the people that I hurt. I replay all the things that I said that caused people great harm. Now, this was before I knew Jesus Christ as Lord, but the enemy of our souls, the devil, loves to play the games of reminding us of our past sins and our past failures. He thoroughly enjoys doing this, but I have good news for you. Our problem of sin, it has a solution. We're gonna discover it together. So turn with me to Matthew chapter one. We're gonna be starting in verse 18. We're gonna continue our series of Love Came Down. We're honing in on the names of Jesus. And I'm very excited about what we're gonna uncover this morning. So Matthew chapter one, starting in verse 18. And I wanna just make a comment before we move forward. Usually I would read the entire passage so we have the context as we move through it. That's gonna be different this morning because this passage is full of suspense. It's like a roller coaster. We're gonna have ups and downs and I want you to experience it all together. So please don't read ahead. And when I say that, I think that's a good way to illustrate our sin nature, which we're gonna talk about. When I just said, please don't read ahead, what were you thinking? I'm gonna read ahead, I'm gonna do it, right? And so please don't, um, it's for your own benefit. And so I think you're gonna marvel at the text this morning. So Matthew chapter one, verse 18, the first part of it, 18a. This is what the text reads. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. All right, so the text starts out, we're looking at the birth of Jesus Christ. Pretty exciting stuff as we're coming into the Christmas season. But the text starts out by saying betrothed. That's a word that's not very common in our culture. And so when we think of the American culture, the dating, the marriage, we have dating, some people might say courting. Then you move into something called engagement, eventually ending up in marriage, at the marriage wedding ceremony. So that's what we are used to in our culture. And so as we read this text, some people might think, our engagement is their betrothal. That's not correct. These are two very different things. There's some things that overlap, but it's very important that we lay out what is betrothal, since we do not have that term in our culture. So I did some research, and I found this commentary that's gonna help flush out what exactly is betrothal, what was going on here. And this is what it says. The situation described in these verses is Joseph's legal engagement to Mary. If typical Jewish custom were followed, 
She may well have been uh, still a young teenager. Joseph may have been considerably older. And here's the part I want you to hear. Engagement in ancient Judaism was legally binding, and it required divorce if it were to be broken. But sexual relations and living together under one roof were not permitted till after the marriage. So basically what's happening here in this betrothal is as if they're already married. As if they're already married, with the exception of no sexual relations and no living together. And so if you were to break the betrothal, this was a legally binding agreement, you would have to go through a divorce. When we think in our culture of our engagement, we've probably heard of people that were engaged that ended up breaking it off, right? There was no legal divorce that had to happen in that case. Perhaps they're out money that they would have put a deposit down for a venue or such. But there's no legal ramifications, whereas a betrothal meant that there had to be a divorce. So this is a significant difference. And why I'm unpacking this is it plays a huge implication onto the prophecies about our Messiah, which we're going to see in a second. So this couple is promised to, together in marriage. They're starting their journey. This is a real exciting time where Joseph's about to marry Mary in this wedding ceremony coming up. Mary is a godly woman. Jo Joseph is a godly man. And so the future is bright for this couple. Now, if I asked the spouses in here, have you ever had a conflict or a trial with your partner? I'm not going to ask because I don't want to see a whole bunch of hands and then faces looking at each other. But I would imagine every hand would go up. I see some siblings in here as well. And if I asked you, have you ever had, see the Benjamins, oh, okay, right there. Have you ever had a conflict with one another? I've seen it in youth groups, so I know you guys would say yes. Okay. And so all relationships have conflict and trial because the fall of mankind. When sin entered the world, it corrupted all of our relationships. But this trial we're about to see is the only relationship that ever experienced this trial. Look at this next verse and just imagine being Joseph in this situation. Verse 18b. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Before they came together, again, Matthew telling us that he did not have relations yet, and yet she was found to be with child, and he informs us this child's from the Holy Spirit. Now, before we look at what Joseph would be thinking, I just want to highlight God's perfect timing. I just spent some time looking at what betrothal means. So they are in a committed relationship not to be broken. They're forbidden from participating in sexual relations until after the wedding ceremony. Why is this important? We believe as Christians, as followers of Christ, in something called the hypostatic union. Now, I wonder if I looked at your phone history, how many of you have had texting conversations that included hypostatic union in that this week? Anybody? No? Not even one. No Karen students? Okay. And so what is the hypostatic union? It's the belief and the doctrine, the truth, that Jesus is fully God. That's 100%, no deficiency. And he's also fully man. 100%, no deficiencies. It's not 50-50. It's 100 of both. He is completely God. 
and completely man. That's the hypostatic union. This account and the betrothal that we see here solidifies this doctrine for us, or it's evidence of this truth. So listen to this. If Jesus came along after Joseph and Mary were already, the wedding ceremony happened, they've been having relations, and then Jesus came along, what would critics and skeptics say? He wasn't born of the Holy Spirit, conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was Joseph's son, right? Which would then get rid of his divinity. He would no longer be fully God. Then if you come on the other side, and if Jesus came along before the betrothal happened, then what would happen? We would see that Joseph wouldn't be the legal, earthly father of Jesus, therefore taking out or removing a lot of the prophecies of the past, which would mean Jesus wasn't actually the Messiah. And so God, in his perfect timing, when you read the Bible, you just see it time and time again, and if you have your eyes open, you'll see it in your own life. God's timing is perfect. And praise the Lord that he was writing this narrative and not Jeremy, right? It would be a disaster. God is the one who is always perfect in his timing. And so with that being said, I hope that's an encouragement to your heart. God's timing is perfect. That betrothal window of time is about 12 months. So we're talking about a small window that God was orchestrating all these details to fulfill all the prophecies of old. All right, let's move to verse 19. Verse 19 of Matthew 1. Now Joseph's response. So Mary shows up with child, and here's Joseph. Verse 19, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Verse 19 is kind of a change how it starts. Her husband Joseph. I thought they were betrothed. Again, we see that Betrothal is like being married, okay? It's not an engagement. We would see the word fiancé in our culture if that were true. It's like their husband and wife already. So Matthew is making that clear for us once again. And then what's he desiring to do? Being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. I think of the mountain peaks and the valleys here. Joseph was on... Mountain Peak, so excited about getting the opportunity to marry Mary, planning for their wedding. It's an exciting time. And then all of a sudden, now she's with child. Can you just imagine that experience? Mary, again, was a faithful woman of God, reverent. And now all of a sudden, she's carrying a child. You see, during this time in ancient Judaism, in this culture, they did have the proper understanding of how children entered the world. Parents, I'm going to let you answer any follow-up questions that your children may have from that statement. But they understood how children entered the world. So what is the conclusion or the math here? If Mary's with child, they did not have sexual relations yet. Clearly, this child's not Joseph's. And so you can imagine the despair that he's feeling as he thinks his wife was unfaithful. He's in the pit of despair, the heartbreak that he must have experienced. But Joseph's character is on display in this text. Instead of shaming Mary, so there's options available when this happens, you can either deal with this publicly 
or you can deal with it privately. The law doesn't say which one. It just says you must divorce this individual. So he had options on the table of what do I do? Do I put her in the public square and just have everybody now realize what happened, mock her? By doing that, she could have been stoned to death. Would have been one option that could have happened. But instead, he's going to show love, kindness, and mercy by divorcing her privately. He's doing this out of a heart of love for who he thinks was unfaithful. And so you see his character is on display here. Mountaintop to the valley of despair, anticipation of a wedding, you're planning for a wedding, and now he's quietly planning for a divorce. He's displaying mercy and kindness to someone he believes was very unfaithful. I want to make a point here before we move on. God was present with Joseph even in his darkest moment. Joseph could have turned his back on God. He could have publicly shamed Mary, but decides not to. It's easy to lose sight of something called God's omnipresence. Omnipresence means that he is present. There's nowhere you can go where his presence isn't with you. He is always with you. Psalm 139 teaches this. And so we can lose sight when we are in our darkest moments of God's omnipresence, that he's right there with you in the hardship. I think for me, when I consider God's presence in the difficult situations in life, I go back to the 20-week ultrasound with Elias, and we're excited. They're going through, showing us everything. We don't even know that there's something wrong at this time. And it's such an awesome thing. You're seeing God's creation in the womb. The doctor goes away to read everything, and the time just keeps ticking. And she's not coming back. And more time's passing. And we start to get unsettled. We start to wonder what's going on. The doctor comes back in, and her disposition has changed. Her face is despondent. And she says, I'm so sorry. There's something wrong with your baby's brain. I think in that moment, Tara and I were not aware of God's omnipresence, that he was right there with us. We didn't see it. Looking back, I can see it clearly. God was right there with us. Maybe you haven't had that experience but what about getting a cancer diagnosis or maybe somebody that you love and care for getting a cancer diagnosis? God's present with you in that moment. Maybe it's a wayward child that you've raised in the faith, that you've poured your life and soul into, and they aren't walking with the Lord. God's present with you in that moment. And maybe it's you lost somebody Think of these three roses, and we've lost a lot of people we love over the last couple years. And you can feel helpless. God, are you there? Let me reassure you, even though you might not see it, God is present right there with you. My life is a testimony to that. And if you have eye, your eyes open and you look back, I hope that you can see also that God is present with you and has been and always will be. Christ promised that he's never going to forsake his people. So even in the darkest pit of despair Joseph was in, 
God is with him, and God's going to take him out of that and take him to a whole other mountain peak. And that's what we see in verse 20. Look at verse 20 with me. So he is thinking that Mary is unfaithful. He's now planning a divorce to do it quietly, and this happens. But as he considered these things, the divorce, quietly, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So he's down here in the pit of despair, and now this angel appears and brings this tremendous, wonderful news. I want to unpack what is the angel saying? So I think there are some key phrases in here that I want to hone in on. He starts out by saying Joseph, his name. It's a personal acknowledgement. This angel knows who he is. He uses his name. One of the important things in student ministry is that we learn the names of the students. It's very important. Names matter. I'm sure all of us like being called the correct name. And so the fact that this angel is using his name means there's a personal conversation happening here. The second thing is son of David. This is a call for Joseph to remember he is in the Davidic line, which is very important for all the prophecies in the past of the Messiah. So he's calling him to remember, you are part of the Davidic line. Then he says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. When angels speak with humans, there's always a, a call to do not fear. Why? Because they're experiencing the divine it's an awesome experience. It's shocking and it creates fear. And so the angel is saying, do not fear. Follow through and take Mary as your wife. Why? Why would he do that? Because a child, for that which is conceived in her, is from the Holy Spirit. She was not unfaithful. In fact, God found her to be very faithful. And she's carrying the Savior of the world. So now the angel just informed Joseph, your wife was not unfaithful like you've been thinking she is. In fact, she is now carrying the savior of the world and you are going to be his earthly father. And so do you just see this roller coaster? This is why I didn't want you to read ahead so we could experience together. And God's working this beautiful narrative all to bring about this Jesus who was promised. So just think about being in Joseph's shoes, experiencing this, and just knowing God's with you the whole way. We just went through a real roller coaster, but the next verse is actually the pinnacle. And so you're thinking, how could it get even better when we already saw how God's working this beautiful narrative? The next verse changes the world. And I don't say that lightly. Look at verse 21. The angel still speaking to Joseph. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I started by talking about this real in our minds that keeps playing our past sins. And I told you that there's a solution to our problem of sin. Right there it is. You see, sin has a solution, and his name is Jesus. He is the only solution to our sin problem. There's nothing you can do to remedy your sin problem or my sin problem. Only Jesus, the only solution. 
You see, this child that Mary is carrying, he's going to be the one who's going to smash the head of the serpent. This child will be the one who will crush the stronghold of the enemy. This child's going to raise the dead to life. This child's going to open the eyes of the blind. This child's going to cleanse the leper. This child's going to carry the iniquities of us all. This child's going to conquer. This child's Lord. This child's King. This child is Jesus. The name of Jesus is really important. I mentioned in youth ministry, names matter. And in this context, names matter even more. And so let's unpack, what does the name Jesus actually mean? I want to put up another small part of a commentary, New American Commentary. It says this, Such a child will also obviously be very special. Part of this special role is now specified. He's to be named Jesus, which means Yahweh is salvation, or the Lord saves. His ministry will not, first of all, involve the physical liberation of Israel from its enemies, but the spiritual salvation of God's people by removing the alienation from God which their sins have created. So what is this commentary saying? Saying that there's a problem. If you are born from two earthly parents, which just let me do a quick scan, two earthly parents, some questions up here, but... um, I think you all clear that. So if you are born of two earthly parents, you have a problem. It's a sin problem. See, sin separates us from God. You are born with a sin nature. Ever since the fall of mankind, sin has been passed down to you and to me. And so we have a big, big problem, a sin problem. One illustration that, as a parent, I really appreciate, if you've had the privilege of raising children, You do not have to teach them to say, no, or that's mine, right? That somehow is just deposited in them when they're born, right? It's because they have a sin nature. But you do have to teach them to say, may I please have that? Thank you so much, right? Those are things we train our children in because it's not something they're born with. So it's a great illustration to show the sin nature that we battle. See, We are born with that, and only when somebody puts faith in Jesus and is redeemed, they surrender control to Christ, that that is then removed. They become a new creation, so now they have a decision to make. They can honor God, or they can dishonor God. The choice is now theirs. The shackles of sin have been removed, and now they can decide to honor or dishonor God. You still wrestle with the sin nature because we're in a fallen world, so you'll still battle but you can choose, if you're a believer in Christ, to honor God. You don't believe me. I want you to look at Ephesians 2, verses 12 and 13. One of my favorite books is the book of Ephesians. This is what it says. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. This is talking about before they knew Jesus. Separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That is not a good situation for those that do not know Christ. But 13 is the good news. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I want to highlight the word separated. We could look at any of these and unpack them, but let's just look at separated. That word means without or independent from. Sin 
separates us. And you and I get this on a human level. When somebody sins against you, does something wrong, sin is an infraction against God's will or his ways. And so when somebody sins against you, what do you do? You take a step away from them, typically, right? Hopefully you offer forgiveness if you've experienced forgiveness yourself. But when they sin against you and they keep sinning against you, what do you do? You keep moving away from them, right? You build a wall because you just don't trust them anymore. Maybe you've been on the other side where you've sinned against somebody and you're messaging them, you're calling them, and they aren't answering. Why? Because they've taken steps away from you. You see, when we sin against another person, it creates distance between us and them. More so, and even more important, is the fact that our sin separates us from God. Why? Because he is holy and sin cannot dwell in his presence. We are sinners, and so there's a separation there. And that's why the text says we were separated from Christ. And only through the work of Jesus Christ can we be brought near to him because of the blood that he spilt for us. The result, if sin is not dealt with, in this life, is eternal separation from God. That grieves my heart as a youth pastor, as a pastor, as somebody that has family that doesn't know Christ, friends that don't know Christ. Their current condition is that they're separated from Christ for eternity. And that calls us to, one, pray that God will save them, and then go and tell them the good news of Jesus. I'm sure if I asked how many of us have loved ones, friends that don't know Christ, we all can think of multiple people. If you're thinking to yourself, Jeremy, I'm not that bad of a person. You hear that comment made a lot. I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as this person. Well, Scripture says differently. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. So we're talking about serious business here. We've all fallen short, and that's why we are in desperate need of a solution, and we see that solution is Jesus Christ. He is the solution for our sin problem. So we need to be praying that God's going to redeem our friends and our family. When I think of the word separated, I also think of several times where Mercy, my six-year-old, who is a lot shorter than me, she's tall for her age, but she's shorter than me, when we're out and about, and she, that's not her, but it was a cute picture, and so I just had to put it up there. But when we're out and about, and she is separated from me, I can see her, but she can't see me. There's panic, there's fear, there's anxiety. You can see it in her. The minute I say, or the second I say, Mercy, I'm right over here. Like, I'm right here, I'm right with you. All of a sudden, that's sometimes her reaction. Uh, but there's this peace, right? She's no longer away from daddy. And when I think about the situation with our sin, when we are separated from God, there's fear. It's just not good. We're without hope. But the minute that we are in the arms of God, which the scripture just said, we're brought near to Christ, there's now peace. And I hope you've experienced that peace of being near to the Lord. Even in the hardship, there can be peace. So if you've never put your faith in Christ, I ask you today, I pray that today's the day of your salvation, that you will surrender to him and put your faith in him. Maybe you have put your faith in Jesus, 
and this film reel just continues to play in your mind and you keep going back to your past sins, I want to show you some verses in Colossians that are going to hopefully change the way you deal with that problem. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says this, You who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us how many of our trespasses? All of them. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The best way to illustrate this, canceling of the record of debt, is to think about a mortgage. I didn't hear any groans. I thought I might hear groans with a mortgage. But when you think of a mortgage, you take this out for a new home, and it's usually decades until you can pay it off, right? You get a 25, 30-year loan. And the first couple of years are just interest. And so you're just, how long will I be having to carry this on? Imagine you just started this loan, and it's a number you'll never be able to pay back. And all of a sudden, you get a call from the mortgage company. Your debt's been forgiven. Somebody made a payment on your behalf, cleared the slate. Your record of debt is gone. What's the correct response? Thank you, Lord that you provided and that you sent somebody to care and meet one of our needs. That's amazing. There's this joy that the Lord provides. Here's what you don't do. I'm going to continue writing a check to the mortgage company monthly every time it goes out. But all too often we do that with our salvation, right? We think that we have to add to what Jesus has done or we have to do this certain amount of works to earn his favor. Your debt is forgiven if you know Jesus Christ as Lord. It is gone. The scriptures teach it is canceled. And that word canceled is really significant. And Tara and I have experienced a similar thing with a debt being forgiven, where somebody in their kindness learned of a need that we had and just wiped it clean. And we were overfilled with joy. And the result was, now we can bless somebody else. And that's the same thing that God does for us. He's given us the freedom and the forgiveness so we can tell others about what he's done. The record of debt is canceled. The word canceled means to cause something to cease by obliterating any evidence of it. I like that definition, especially when it's talking about our sin. To cause something to cease, that would be enough for me. But then it says, by obliterating... That's a really strong word, any evidence of it. It is completely gone. You're no longer defined by your wickedness. You're now defined by Christ's righteousness. His blood's redeemed you, and you're no longer indebted to sin. You've gone from having no hope without God to now being very near to Christ, which there's no better place to be. This truth is wonderful. As we wrap up, I wanted an opportunity for each of you to illustrate this truth. You had a little note card on your chair or somewhere near you. And if you're observant, you notice that there's a gift up here by this tree. If you're really observant, you notice that there's an electrical cord also going to it. Underneath that gift is a paper shredder. As I was thinking, what is the best way to illustrate what Christ has done with our sin? 
and obliterating any evidence of it, I thought, what do we do with documents we don't want people to see? You put them through the paper shredder. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to write down those sins that you've been burdened with, that you've been carrying. And I'm going to put the paper shredder right here as the worship team ends our song. And if you need a pen, you can raise your hand, and they'll come by. And as the song's playing, I'm going to ask that you guys write down, if you would like, and come forward and put your sins through the shredder. Again, this is just symbolic. There's nothing magical that happens when it goes through the shredder. This is just to capture that if you know Christ is Lord, your sins are completely forgiven. This illustration falls short, though. The reason it falls short is I can pull the tray out and I see little scraps of all of our sins. That's not obliterating all the evidence. So this doesn't even capture what Christ actually does with our sin. It is completely wiped away, which is great news for you and for me. So we're going to pray, and then Daryl's going to lead us in this song, and then we'll close. Dear God, we thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. As we just think of Jesus Christ coming, the Messiah being carried by Mary, how you took Joseph through some real dark moments, ultimately telling him, that you're going to be bringing the Savior of the world who's going to forgive the sins of his people. As I think of those that are in here, there are probably some that do not know who you are. And I pray that in this moment, they would consider what Jesus has done for them, that he's paid their debt, and that they just need to put faith and trust in Jesus. And so would you just redeem the lives of those that don't know you in here? And for those of us that do know you as Lord, but are carrying a burden that we no longer have to carry, I pray that we would surrender that to you, that we would trust that our debt is forgiven, and in fact, you credited to our account the righteousness of Christ. And so this illustration falls so short of what you've actually done, but I just pray it would capture the fact that you have completely obliterated all evidence of our sin, and we should be so grateful. And so would you just bless this time as we worship through song and then as we wrap up and go from here. In Christ's name we pray, amen.